0: How could I never drink again in my life when that's all I've known? That's the only way that I have ever known to cope. How can I learn to heal? All I've ever known is to put up all these walls and go through my life in this way. How am I going to make a change?
1: Welcome to the Ignited Recovery Podcast, a new way forward for anyone looking for answers but feeling left out. If you've been searching for empowerment, triumph, and purpose, you've found them right here. You won't hear the same solutions and you're not gonna have any excuses to fall back on because Ignited Recovery allows heroes to rise and become their best selves. I'm Dr. Adi Jaffe, and I can't wait to be your guide on this journey. Are you ready to become an Ignited Hero? All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome back to the Ignited Recovery Podcast. I am really, really excited. I was lucky enough to um, share my story with Marcy um, just a few weeks ago on her show, and now I feel even more blessed to have you with us, Marcy. Uh, There's so much going on for you. We talked a little bit while I was um, sharing with you about your story and your recovery journey, etc. And between the book that is coming out and your show and everything else that you're doing, I feel like we're aligned in that we're trying to use these stories of pain to help people who may be struggling in similar ways to the ways that we were struggling before. And what I love about having a podcast is I get to share so many different stories with people and so let's let's start a little bit in terms of um, in the history of what brought you to this point right I mean the book is just coming out now but you've been sharing your story and sharing and being public uh, for a little while so walk us through what was Marcy's life years and years ago before we would have known her as who you are now.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, and I loved having you on and reading your book and getting to know you and the work that you're doing to help others. It's incredible. Um, so, me, you know, it it it's. I'm 52 today, Addie, so I've got a long history, right? And I. I started off in television. I've always been in television. I worked behind the scenes. I was in the industry, worked for networks. I worked in operations. I worked in broadcasting. I worked in programming. And um, my final job was a a director of on-air promotions for FX Network in uh, LA. And that's where I met my husband. And we got married and we moved to New Jersey and had two children. And I knew for me, I wanted to do something more, and I wanted to get back into the industry, but around 40, I decided to get in front of the camera. Now, I was very excited about this because it was going back to a childhood dream. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be a model, and here I am, just over 40, and deciding to do commercials, commercial print, Here I am close to New York. So it was a great opportunity and things just started happening. I put it out in the universe, started meeting people, got agents, like everything just flowed as if it was supposed to happen. But for me, I have a lot of trauma in my past. I had uh, abandonment. My parents were alcoholics, divorced, lived with my grandparents, had sexual abuse, uh, physical, mental abuse. So there were a lot of scars for me and the way that i had dealt with it was alcohol i coped with alcohol the majority of my life and i had you know a real roller coaster ride i mean i could make everything look really good but i was really crumbling i was just a hard exterior and the alcohol made it easier so when i got in front of the camera it was very difficult for me I literally would shake like a leaf when I would go into auditions. I mean, even for a picture, it was so difficult. And what I started doing was having wine before an audition, or I started booking gigs. So then I would have wine before that. And so that became my liquid courage. I also realized now in my sobriety that I was going through perimenopause. I got on an antidepressant, but during that time, my alcohol consumption was off the roof. I mean, I was drinking at lunchtime, nighttime, and um, I was still dealing. I was a mom. I had a family. Everything looked really good, but things started crumbling for me because I was in an industry where I was being judged all of the time, and I couldn't handle the emotional roller coaster. And then I went my final day, and obviously, this is uh, just a short version of my story. But my final day, I went for uh, a modeling gig. And I actually had convinced myself that I didn't need my liquid courage that day. But what happened was, is I went to the wrong place. So now I had a call time. I had to race there. I'm freaking out, and now I drink my my liquid courage was always in a thermos wine, and I drank it on the way there. So I basically had barely anything to eat. Had basically a half a bottle of wine. I walked the show, and it was you know at this point I'm confident. I'm feeling good. I'm invincible, and my girlfriend had joined, and so we went out afterwards. And because I was drinking a lot, I wasn't eating a lot because I just tried to stay thin. And once I went over a certain point, I mean I was not making any good decisions and we went to another place. My kids are at home with a babysitter, my husband's at a job and I ended up getting a DUI. And I didn't remember getting behind the car, wheel wheeled the car and that was my rock bottom. And I woke up the next morning and I realized that I could continue the cycle and blame everyone else and live in that victim role or surrender. And that's when I made the choice to surrender. And because I started the 12-step program and never looked back. At that time, it worked for me because I was ready. I needed it. I wanted it. I needed my life to change, and I wanted to heal, and it was like the weight of the world went off my shoulders at that point. Yeah, and you know, now I'm six and a half years sober, so I got a whole new part of my story, which brings me to uh, being a television host and starting my own show and writing my book. So, you know, I've got my book is chaos to clarity. I've got the part that's the chaos, and now I've got the clarity and the spirituality and the and the happiness that I've always looked for in my life.
1: I love it. I love it. So a lot of things come up for me as you're telling your story that are really aligned with, you know, what I write about in the book, but just generally in the way that I have learned about addiction over the years. And that is, you know, that the trouble started long, long before uh, your trouble started with alcohol. Um, with trauma for you, I heard, which I definitely want to dig into. And then also this um, performance anxiety, which so many of us struggle with, right? So many people, I think still to mm-hmm. this day, the number one fear for people is public speaking over, is. Mm-hmm. over so many other things, right? And when you think yeah. about it, the trauma experiences, we talk about this a lot in the Ignited program, we've talked about it a lot on the, on the podcast, you know, those trauma experiences change the way you see the world. And so they obviously introduce lack of safety and fear and difficulty trusting and all those things in a very real visceral way because when you're three four five six seven ten twelve other Mm -hmm. people doing things to you that are either unwanted risky painful um challenging in ways that you can't handle that is out of your control and that can that can literally be a a survival risk Mm
0: -hmm. and so I want to talk
1: about that for sure the second piece is is equally important to me and it's you know, we talk about fuck shame all the time at, uh, at Ignited. And that part you talked about, about not feeling good enough, wanting to perform. I think that's a very, that's an incredibly common experience for so many people who struggle with addiction. And I joke that it's almost like the perfectionism, the internalized perfectionism we have makes us go. So that if somebody says to me, hey, Adi, you did really, really well, I would go, wait, they said really well. I know that meant it wasn't great. Like, right. No matter what somebody says, I can, I can negatively criticize myself. And that's historical. I'm much, much better at it through a lot of work by now, but that's what I heard in the second part, or you call it liquid courage, but whatever it is that we need help bolstering our kind of built in self esteem. I, I see those sometimes as even separate from trauma because A lot of people who don't have big T trauma, at least, can still have that perfectionistic voice. And so if you don't mind sharing a little bit, maybe before the alcohol even came about, what are some of Mm -hmm. the experiences early in life that you remember brought it front and center that you, you know, you had to show up pretty much perfectly? Well, and
0: this is how my book starts. My mother had me very early. Okay. And uh, she was 18 when she got pregnant. Uh, My father was four years older. I was a mistake. So she had me literally 19. She was a baby. And so with that, my family was kind of all on board to help take care of me because my mom was partying. My mom was doing all those things as you do when you get out of high school. She was with a Guy and I was over at the house, and now I'm about six years old. And I was spending the night over. They had had a late night partying. I'm in the uh, his roommate's bedroom. I'm bored to death, and I ended up getting into a little mischief. I, I saw a Tootsie Roll can. I was I realized there were coins inside of there. I didn't even know the difference between brown money and silver money right I just knew silver money was more so I took the silver money and when Tim ended up walking into the room the first thing he did was pick up that bank and he realized the money was missing I tried to blame it of course because I'm in such fear at this point I don't know what to do I'm six years old and he grabbed me took me in to my to the bedroom my mom's laying in the bed and he started beating me in front of my mom and she just laid there and that's where my book starts and
1: yeah I remember the, was- I remember the story and and he um not only did your mom not kind of stand up for you but if I remember from the story he kind of asked you hey did you take the money and you immediately knew you'd screwed up so you you did what a lot of us do when we think we screwed up and that is mm-hmm. you say no no I didn't I didn't take any money what money are you talking about um and he just kept pushing and pushing and he he even told you that it was supposed to be a gift for you and like there was there was a whole a whole kind of turning the the tables on you very very quickly piece to that
0: yeah and so once the beating happened my mom told me we were going to my grandparents house that day and anyway I ended up even though my mother had begged me not to show anyone something had happened. I I got very upset. I ended up showing my grandmother what had happened. And at this point, I'm already completely black and blue. And my grandfather got very upset because my grandmother told him, kick them out of the house. And it was within the next few days that my grandmother, my grandparents said, you know, you can live with us if you want. And I had to, at six years old, make a choice if I was going to stay with my grandparents or leave my mom. And that's really where it started. I mean, I will tell you that I am grateful that I lived a big chunk of my my youth with them from six to twelve because I learned a lot of really good things, even though there was a lot of anger in the house, my grandfather's temper um, i, I it, it at least I had some some roots, some morals, some, you know, some really important things ingrained in me as a child that when I was with my mom, I probably would have never gotten.
1: And maybe some safety, right, that you don't even know that would have not been there in that sort of lifestyle that she was living. So am I hearing, am I hearing you right and kind of saying, A, seeing how my mom was taught me what I, how I didn't want to live, but also having to make that choice. Did that feel like, I know now you understand it. Did he feel like a lot of pressure back then? What was the, what was the experience of a six-year-old having to make that kind of decision?
0: Well, it was very scary and it was, it was heartbreaking because I remember the phone call and telling my mom. And I think what I remember is that she didn't respond actually probably the way that I wanted. I wanted her to beg me to come with her. And I think it was pretty much if that's what you want to do. And so in that moment too, I was destroyed because the, the pain of my mom not wanting me, my father wasn't around. So there was a lot of abandonment issues that started there and um, so it was a very very painful experience
1: got it got it Mm -hmm. um was there a part kind of going back to that piece we were talking about earlier was there a part that felt like it was your fault for having to make that decision and if you had been better it would have been different
0: i'm sure that i i'm sure that i felt that you know i when you make a mistake like that yeah. and you're so young, and then that's that's the turnout. I mean, now I've I stole some money from a Tootsie roll can, and now I'm having to live with my grandparents. Like, and I did always feel that my mother chose men over me mm. and the party lifestyle. But I recognize now because of my relationship cycles that we validated ourselves by the men we were with so it was the attention that we got from men that validated who we are or who we were because we didn't know who we were and it was a pretty empty existence and a sad existence because my mother nor i i was much stronger than my mom but i i realize now Even when I told her about the sexual abuse, she didn't leave. So I've been able to forgive her because I realized that I think she was just so broken and she didn't know how. She was terrified to try to live on her own, didn't think she could. And I think she was afraid to let my grandparents down again, that she might be kicked out of the family. I I don't know, but this is what I believe that maybe happened for her. You got to forgive, right? (laughs) 100%
1: and also you know for me part of having to forgive is recognizing even if you don't understand why and we agree disagree with the decision most people are trying to do their best Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with whatever tools and resources they have Um, wow well what a decision and what a kind of fork in the road for a kid right to move in that direction so you mentioned growing up at grandma's sounds like you were still in touch with your mom but you were just yes living, living it, absolutely
0: right? yeah that's correct she would come around and I would see her on weekends and stuff but she was still with the the guy that beat me so it was always very uncomfortable God. now I'll tell you around eight years old I so my mother was an alcoholic right she did drugs she she drank Drinking was really the primary thing that she did. So I remember about eight years old, I went to visit over at Tim's house and that was uh, her boyfriend that beat me. And I, I had a stomach ache and they were having a party or something. And I told her I had a stomach ache and she said, well, here, drink some of my margarita because that helps me go to the bathroom. So I was taught at a very young age that using alcohol would fix the problem. And then I was unable to sleep at his house because I believe now because I just never felt safe. So it was very traumatizing for me to be at his house and sleep over at his house. And so she started giving me half of a sleeping pill. Got it. I'm yeah, at a very young age. She then ended up telling me that she emptied the capsules and wasn't giving me anything, but it was a mental thing for me. but you know, it's just very interesting thinking back, you know, how we are taught and that the behaviors are learned.
1: Yeah. And even learning, Hey, if you don't feel right, you take something and it makes you right. And by the way, that, even that logic would then apply to, Hey, your body hurts, take an Advil, right. They all, they all kind of rely on the same mechanism. Got it. Um, wow. Okay. So just to bring us back you told us in the beginning about how you ended up then deciding that you wanted to seek help now duis arrests obviously that's part of my story um people leaving us those are big moments for change and i and i tell that to clients and their family member that i work with all the time right it's not the right moment it's not a necessary component even but it seems that more people are willing to change and research supports this when there's this massive consequence. Um, and you know, DUIs have implications. Like they want you mm-hmm. to finish these classes. You, you can't drink and drive. Sometimes you have to put interlock devices in order to make sure that you can even operate your car. You, most of people who get DUIs get suspended licenses. So they can't even drive mm-hmm. for extended periods of time. So all that stuff is there as motivation. Um, but we know that motivation is not enough, right? Like for a lot of, yeah.
0: Yeah. There was a lot that built up to that moment. I mean, when I was around 20, I got two DWIs around that time. I was in the program because it was forced by the courts. I tried to stop drinking for a little while. So my drinking Had very high, you know, escalated in other other times in my life, and and I did try to stop drinking around twenty twenty one, um, maybe maybe twenty two, but it was short lived. And actually, I was a little bit older when I when I did that. It was about twenty four, I guess. Um, so you know, I had tried the twelve step program many at least three times before. I had decided that I really wanted it. It was a year prior to my DUI that I knew I was drinking too much. I didn't want to be like my mom. I woke up every night saying I wouldn't do it again the next day. And of course, I would repeat the cycle. I was looking up, uh, I, I suppose, softer ways, right? To, to get through um, my elevated drinking, whether it was hypnosis or acupuncture, uh, yoga, whatever it was. I was looking for other alternatives and, and I went into AA and I started comparing myself to other people. And I was like, well, I don't drink all day. Um, I have a good life. Um, you know, like, so I, I started comparing myself and I convinced myself I wasn't an alcoholic. Right. And then within that year, my drinking had elevated to such a place and my unhappiness had elevated to such a place. So it wasn't just the drinking, it was I was, I hated myself. I hated my husband. I hated my life. The only thing I loved was my children. So it wasn't just drinking too much, it was a hate filled life. And I was completely a victim
1: um first of all I'm glad you brought that up um a lot I want to talk about so previous attempts um you mentioned that by comparison you didn't feel like you were one of those people and maybe even behaviorally you weren't like those people right. I heard that in the in a couple of years later you caught up to them um so maybe now you had something to measure up to in a way right like going into a and yeah. said, oh I don't need to be here until I get that bad Right. yeah,
0: like you know, I'm not an alcoholic if i if I, I'm not drinking in the morning or you know, got it. it. so you know, there were things that I was comparing myself. You to. You
1: mentioned a bunch of softer ways. Did you do them all? Because that's a lot of stuff. No. I like was got it. So you just looked no, it up no.
0: I you know it was that laying in the bed in the middle of the night, waking got up, I couldn't sleep because I'd been drinking and then, like feeling terrible about, oh, here I am again.
1: Got it, got it, got it, got it. Hey, everybody, Adi here letting you know about our upcoming in- person experience called Ignite Your Inner Flame Retreat. I've based this entire thing on one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had and that was my first silent retreat. I know, I know it sounds scary. I was so scared when I signed up and even more scared when I got there. To be perfectly honest, I almost talked myself out of the whole thing before the first day even started but in the end I was sad to leave because after three days I found parts of myself that I hadn't connected to in decades seriously I equate the experience I had to finally being able to hit inbox zero inside my head if you're anything like me then the constant chatter in your head is something that you've certainly gotten used to but it's causing you stress and anxiety and it makes you worry all the time and keeps you from connecting to the best in your present life so I've built the schedule for this retreat in the same vein but I've made it even more powerful. This retreat is gonna give you the space, structure, and the tools to clear away your mental mess, reconnect to your truest self, and develop a map of your best, present, and future potential. This way, you can go ahead and align with your true goals and highest essence. So come and join us and gain clarity and peace like you've literally never had them in years. All you gotta do is go to ignited.com forward slash events. That's IGNTD.com forward slash events to sign up and I will see you there. I love this discussion because one of the things that bothers me, and maybe this is where we can spend some time, because I love talking to people about this, is, you know, we know that the vast majority of people don't get help. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, most, more than half of the people who struggle with alcohol at some point will end up not struggling with it later. At least that's what the data from like NIAAA and things like that suggests. I mean... Some, some of the data suggests as many as 70, 75% of people have what, what's called sort of um, spontaneous remission. They just grow out of the problem somehow. Um, mm-hmm. But the vast majority of people never engage, like you said, they never actually engage in professional help. Most, 80% or so will never step foot in an AA meeting, for instance. So you had these repeated exposures and mm-hmm. and you heard what they were saying, but you comparatively didn't feel like you were one of those people then you went elsewhere and you at least looked conceptually at other things to do, which I, the way I look at it still to this day shows you actually had an interest in trying to figure out how to lick this problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And then either those things didn't help or you didn't try them enough or you had that comparison issue. So on one side, I really want to talk about what is it that keeps people from getting help. And on the second side, you talked about a lot of stuff going on in life. You, you mentioned life full of hate is how you talked mm-hmm. about it. But um, so there was a lot that wasn't working, a lot that was causing you pain in your everyday life. On both of those fronts, like mm-hmm. hate my husband to me sounds like couples therapy and some really, really deep work. But most of us Did don't that. do that. I talk about, yeah. I talk about Terry in my book, you know, 25 year marriage, never went to couples therapy, because really, in that situation, it was because the husband didn't want it. But then it became all about the alcohol. So on both sides, I'm kind of wondering, now being on this side of things, moving away Mm -hmm. from the victim role, for sure. But what do you think it is that keeps people from doing the hard work, couple work, alcohol work, exercise, nutrition work, whatever it is that will change their life?
0: Well, first of all, I think it's very overwhelming. I think the idea of making such a dramatic change in your life is so daunting. You can't imagine actually being able to do it. How could I never drink again in my life when that's all I've known? That's the only way that I have ever known to cope how can i learn to heal all i've ever known is to put up all these walls and go through my life in this way how am i going to make a change i think it's just so daunting even though i've learned everything is about small steps and staying in the day and being kind to yourself and you mentioning not being perfect. When I dropped the perfectionism part, mm. holy crap, my life just changed drastically. Absolutely. I mean, just to give a small example, how I am different today. I recently sent out an email and I had a, one word misspelled, okay? Okay. That would have destroyed me.
1: Oh, I know. Thinking
0: everyone in the world that received that would think that I'm the stupidest person ever. Oh,
1: she's stupid. She sent out an email with a misspelled word. What's wrong with her?
0: Right. Right. And today I can go. Oh my God, I was so tired. <laughs> I should have yeah. let so and so take a look at it. It's life. It's what yeah. happens. It, you know, I'm normal and everybody does. It.
1: I love it. So okay. Yeah. So. I love the rationale. It's so overwhelming. There's so much to do. This is the only way I know how to cope. And even when it comes to the marriage, like, by the way, are you guys still married?
0: We are still married and we are the happiest couple ever. And we did try, uh, we did go to marriage uh, counseling. And that was one of the best things we did because that therapist was able to explain to my husband what I needed out of a relationship and why. Got it. Because I didn't have my mom
1: because of tools. the sexual
0: abuse. And I needed attention from a man that was not at that time capable of giving it. Got it. Because, yeah. you know, he was such an independent, strong force, executive, working all the time. I was, sure. I was extremely lonely.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear that story so often. Um mm-hmm. So the change is really hard and it's overwhelming to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's why the vast majority of people don't do it. I would also argue that sometimes the solutions that are provided Mm -hmm. are not necessarily what what people want on the front end in the beginning. So Mm. like you mentioned, you know, how do I do this? The only way I know how to cope is alcohol. Um, And these guys are telling me in order to get better, I have to stop drinking forever. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So I actually just recently thought of I'm I'm gonna start asking everybody, everybody here that I have on the mm. podcast uh, this question because it's, this is why I left academia, this is why I do the work that I do. If it's so overwhelming to create change, and we know that a lot of people therefore don't do it, what do you think? Having gone through your experience, meeting all the people, talking to everybody that you've already talked to, writing the book what do you think we need to do in order to get more people who could use our help to embrace some version of change, even if it's softer, even if it's easier, even if it's half measured, whatever it is, I'll leave that open to you. But, you know, we're losing, if you don't even include nicotine, we're losing 200,000 people a year to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a ton of people. And we're not, Nothing we're doing is making it better. So, what would you say would be one of the ways that we can start turning that? Uh, over?
0: Well, I think one we need to change the narrative. We need to break the uh, the feeling of shame and guilt. I think shame and guilt are, are two things that keep us sick, and to feel comfortable in our truth and to be able to know that it's okay. Like if I I think we are slowly chipping away. I think that the more people that are talking about it, we are normalizing uh, alcohol use disorder. I am happy that scientists are coming out and explaining it better. And in the scientific world, they do not use the word alcoholism. They use the word alcohol use disorder or the term. Um, Maybe there's some other terms, but that's the one I know. So it's a spectrum of drinking, a a spectrum of using alcohol to understand that when something traumatic, when a death or divorce or something happens in our lives, we turn to these negative coping mechanisms and sometimes we pull out and sometimes we don't so to be able to again change the narrative make the help more readily available because automatically if somebody thinks they have a drinking order a drinking disorder they think i never can drink again i have to go to rehab or have to go to AA and there are a lot more options out there. And you know that, and you, you educate people on that. And, and I, one reason I have my show beyond many reasons is to be able to give people the platform to educate us and provide resources to create change and move towards a happier life. I love it. And it is possible. You
1: know, it's very possible. No, 100%. I mean, that's. I think that's what bothers me is those of us on the other side know it's possible.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've met
1: thousands of people at this point. So I know it's possible in hundreds of different ways, if not tens of thousands of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we keep banging our head against the wall of, it's hard to get people into the care. So I think what you mentioned, the first thing you mentioned is, is so big. And honestly, I don't know, other than i guess talking about it and waiting 50 to 100 more years i don't know what else we we can do to push forward the message of changing the language in a really really big way because i think you're right about that marcy i think i think that's a big piece of the puzzle you know some people hate that i say this but nobody wants to be an alcoholic and no. nobody wants to be called an alcoholic and yeah no. and yet and, and actually there's research so, you know I, I when i did my ted talk like 8 years ago tedx but um there was there was a line in it that a lot of not a lot of people but some people would kind of point out like oh he's obviously bashing traditional recovery i said my name is a d and i'm not an addict and i i followed up with some other stuff and and the point was i'm much more than just that right like
0: mm-hmm. having
1: to wake up every day and say that in a meeting was really upsetting for me because it kept bringing me back to what wasn't working and i'd be eight ten years later i'm like no i'm that's that part of my life is old But in traditional recovery, we don't get to do that a lot, right? Still to this day. But now there's research. Um, Robert Ashford, John Kelly's put some research out on this. And the research shows us overarchingly that using these terms for people is damaging. Now, anybody gets to call themselves whatever they want, obviously. Right, right. But I'm wondering when we stop as a society, and alcohol use disorder is definitely one term. Um, I just talk about people who struggle with alcohol you know, because mm-hmm. most people at least identify, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm drinking too much or I'm drinking in ways that aren't healthy. Once, once we have to elevate it beyond that to like a, what label can I stick on your forehead? I feel like people struggle. And yeah, so Robert Ashford, uh, John Kelly, and a few other people that I've seen do work on this, um, you know, they show when we, when we use those terms, people are less likely to seek help. They're less likely to talk about their problem. They're less likely to engage in help. So all the things that we're trying to do, become less Mm -hmm. likely. Um, Probably in the same way. And I'm sorry if I offend anybody by using some of these terms, but I just want to be clear, like, you know, I'm probably not, I'm probably still not going to use the term because it's going to feel horrible coming out of my mouth. But like, (laughs) there are negative terms for um, people with uh, LGBTQ tendencies, right? And they stay on regardless of your gender. We stop calling people that. We stopped calling them that because we realized that that doesn't do anything good to continue the conversation.
0: I, I'm agreeing with you.
1: Yeah. You no. Know, so it's like, I'm, I'm just waiting for the I don't want to be labeled.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't want to be labeled an alcoholic. And I, I alcohol, uh, excuse me, the 12-step program, because you're not even supposed to say AA. You're supposed to say the 12-step program. Sure. That, that saved me. And I'll tell you why that saved me. And I don't think that you need to be an alcoholic to be saved by the 12-step program. That Those 12 steps, I learned and healed more than I had in any therapy, anything else that I did. Yeah. And maybe part of it is because I had put down the drink and I wasn't masking my pain anymore. So it it enabled me to come out of my fog and start coping in positive ways. Well, and I definitely tell people all the go, time,
1: like when you have a medicine yeah. that makes the anxiety not as bad or makes you hate your life less, yeah, then it's yeah. harder to talk about how much you hate your life because you go, look, I'm fine in this therapy session. I'm gonna go have a drink after this and it's all Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Agree. So What I, what, what I was able to do that I loved most about those steps, I was able to move from the victim role and see my part in things. And I think it's very difficult for people to see their part in things. So for that, I was grateful. There are a lot of tools that I learned living in gratitude, pausing, living in the day. Um, I became very spiritual. And, and a lot of people get turned off because they think it's a God program. You know, you have to turn yourself over to God. Well, God is many things as the divine. It's something much bigger to me now. I, I understand it in a very different way now. And I'm so spiritually connected now. And I'm so guided by whatever you want to call the, the higher power in your life. But there's signs all around us. And I am able now, when I let's say I do want to have a drink, which I don't today. I mean, every once in a while I'd be like going, this is the worst day ever. Like, yeah, a glass of wine would be nice, but I'm always able to put in the tape, remember what it used to be like in my life. And then mm-hmm. look at today. I mean, my God, I, I, I now have it. I just got syndicated in, in Palm Springs, California, Idaho, Wyoming, I'm oh, in Santa Barbara. I mean, like, I, my book is coming out, um, I, I'm on as a recovery expert on NBC, X, you know, F, Fox, ABC, CBS, and like, there's just all these things, I'm going to be a public speaker, I've yes. already spoken in front of people, I couldn't even talk in a meeting, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I just, when I think about my life today. I would never want to go back to who I was because I'm so happy today and I don't have to be, I mean, I, I, I mean, all of these blessings are happening because of who I am today, I believe, but you don't even need the, the constant acclimates or whatever. Um, but it's just, life is just such a beautiful thing when you live in gratitude and you right. just are able, it's a mindset shift. It's a, and I, and I don't care if you stop drinking or not, it's about our mindsets and how we think about things.
1: Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. And I love it. And I think that's maybe the piece why I'm so focused on like, okay, how do we get more people to engage in whatever way they're ready to engage? Because I've seen the blessings on the other side. I've seen it in mm-hmm. me and in so many other people. And it on a really deep level, it bothers me that more people are not engaging. And I think we do a disservice. My My take, obviously my take, but I think we do a disservice to people. You already said there are a bunch of different ways to, to get help, but I don't know that that's what people hear in society. I think what they hear in society is that kind of scary message. So that's, you know, um, I think that that's a question I'm going to start asking people in general. It's like, how do you see us getting more people engaged? Because there mm-hmm. are, just statistically, it's, the numbers are insane, but there are about 25 million people any on any given year that struggle with addiction. But that means what we used to call dependence and essentially the moderate to severe levels of alcohol or substance use disorder. Now 25 Mm -hmm. million people that reach that level, by the way, that doesn't include technology addiction. It doesn't include sex addiction. It doesn't include food addiction. It's just the drugs, right? Yeah. But then you look at the people who just struggle with alcohol. And I think we need to stop paying attention only to the people who are getting DUIs and getting arrested because that is late in the game. We need to look upstream, Right. Like Mm. when when your relationship was a problem and you were drinking to deal with the marriage because your husband wasn't able to give you attention the way that you needed it. That's when we needed to start talking about drinking, not when you're like getting behind the wheel. But you look upstream. We're talking Mm -hmm. somewhere between 75 to 90 or over 100 million people in the U.S. who struggle. Uh, And I'm working on my next book. And when I look at those numbers, Mm. There's one part of me that just gets really mad and upset. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. what the hell? Like somewhere between two and a half to, you know, five, six million people a year get help for addiction. And then there yeah. are like 80 to 90 million people who struggle. Like where, how do we fill that gap? There's 70 some million people who need help for addiction and are not getting it. And yeah, I think I think we need new solutions. I think we need new ways of engaging them because I don't want to wait 15, 20 years for the conversation to change.
0: Mm -hmm. Again, we're
1: losing 200, 250,000 people a year to this dying.
0: Well, what about some of the neurologists come on and there's certain like neuro type of
1: Neurofeedback Uh,
0: transmitters, yeah, that you can put on your brain. And it actually affects a certain part of your brain. That maybe, you know, maybe there are some real scientific ways that we can address what's happening in the brain.
1: There are, there's medications, neurofeedback is great. Um, I guess I'm, look, you, you went through a lot before you ever started drinking problematically. You went through a lot in life, right?
0: Yeah. And
1: then then you got stuck apparently with a great guy because he was able to change and all this other amazing stuff happened later in your relationship. But you got stuck in a relationship that was playing out some of your old patterns, playing up some of your old insecurities, getting into a job that was doing that. And your mental health was such that, you know, drinking provided the kind of relief you needed in order to keep functioning in that life. I keep wondering... Is there a path where we go further upstream? And I think society is doing this a little bit, but I still always want to mm-hmm. try to figure out if we can do better. We can go further upstream and, and teach people that message from parents to their kids, to in schools, et cetera, of, hey, you're not going for perfect. Mm-hmm. You're going for as good as you got today. And yeah. if, you had, if you had trauma, if you had things of that nature happening earlier in your life, getting help, is not yeah. a problem it shows you care about yourself right like we need mm-hmm. to remove the concept that getting therapy couples counseling shows you're struggling it shows you care right um, oh
0: i listen my daughter has anxiety and started with panic attacks because an incident when she went to the medi clinic and she thought she was going to die it was horrible so it it prompted this inside of her And she already had anxiety and stuff. I will scream from the rooftops that I have gotten her into a 12 week therapy so she can learn coping mechanisms when this happens for her. And she's not calling me wanting to like die and, you know, thinking she needs an ambulance, you know, so I am grateful that she is going to be able to learn at 16 years old, how to cope with these feelings.
1: Love it. Yeah, so that's where I think some of the messaging we have to create is like, hey, if you're feeling off, talk to somebody about it. And if you have to pay somebody money to do it, that's fine. But just mm-hmm. let's stop pretending and hiding and making other people think we're doing better than we are. I think that's maybe where where some of right. that deep work can be done in terms of society and at, at large.
0: Well, if you think about, i mean it's changing to a degree but even when i was raised i'm 52 and and then my aunts my mom and so on you kept it all in the family 100%. anything that was going on you had to keep it quiet 100%. right yeah. too much shame so all these things that happen are so ingrained in us like generation after generation and that's one of the big things that i talk about are breaking these cycles Love it. Because it's so important to recognize the cycles. And if you can break it, then maybe you can break it generationally for your children and their children and so on. Exactly. And I agree, you know, there are, I, I look at school today and some of the things they're learning and things that we're understanding today, like why is X, Y, and Z not being taught? And I think in some areas they're trying to do a little bit, whether mm. it's yoga or breathing or this and that. But, you know, there's so much more that needs to be done at an early age. I agree with it 100%. Yeah,
1: I love it. And you're doing it by writing your book and supporting your daughter. Um, Marcy, thank you so much for sharing your story and being public about it. I think you're right. The more of us talk publicly about our experience, the less Mm -hmm. people will feel shame and and worthless and hopeless because of... um, their own struggle. So thank you so much for doing the work. Where do people connect with you you. most readily? How do they find you?
0: Well, I'm on Instagram at at official wake up with Marcy underscore. I'm on Facebook, YouTube, wake up with Marcy. And just please go to my website, wakeupwithmarcy.com. And you can find out all about my show. And my book is on Amazon pre-order right now, Chaos to Clarity.
1: Love it. Thank you so Thank much. You. Marcy. Thanks for being here. Um, everybody go check out Marcy's work. Have Thank you amazing, so much, Addy. Yeah, absolutely. Have an amazing, amazing, and good luck with the book. I I know how, uh, fun and stressful those releases can be. So good luck.
0: With that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, that was very cathartic too. Peeling more onions about oh, that one.
1: percent. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you everybody for joining uh, us. See you next week. Hey everybody, it's a D again and I want to share with you something that I believe is one of the most useful free tools I've ever created for my clients and for you. It's our free personalized My Drinking Score report. Look, you already know that at Ignited we don't care much for labels and we don't believe in any of those once a blah 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 always a blah 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 slogan. But if you are questioning your specific relationship with alcohol you may be trying to figure out how to understand what you need to do and whether you're moving in the right direction well then this completely free tool is for you and will give you the answers you're looking for all you're gonna do is you're gonna take a five minute quiz answering simple questions that you know the answers to and then like magic our system is gonna spit out a custom report so that you can find out more about your relationship with alcohol and actually get guidance and help to some of the changes that you can individually make. I created this tool to give you a customized, personalized virtual resource that you can take at any time and it makes it easy to get the exact recommendations and steps that you need to help eliminate your struggles. Anybody can take it and did I mention that it's completely 100% free? Well, it is. So stop running around in circles, trying to figure out why you're having a hard time getting sober and get real solutions and guidance to help transform your life and get ignited forever. Just pause this audio right now and go to ignited.com forward slash go. Again, that's ignited.com forward slash go and take our five minute quiz right now. Find out what your drinking score is and then share it and tag us on Instagram or Facebook because remember, fuck shame together we get to move forward and get better every day thank you for tuning in to the ignited heroes recovery podcast i really hope you found the information here useful and that we'll see you back here next week and look i want to make sure that this podcast is the most useful it can be for you so please let me know by emailing info at ignited.com if there are any specific topics or questions you'd like to have addressed. As usual, if you like this episode, I would love for you to leave us a five-star review and rating. Thanks and see you next week.